So there was a man named Alexander Fleming. He loved the sciences. He loved to study. He loved to research. He loved to make an impact. The problem was he was also rather disorganized. So while he did things, he often forgot to complete things or record things. And he would continue along, quite often bumbling along the way. And he would often start something up in the morning as an experiment and he would forget to come back and check it and he'd go out and meet with friends and do a lunch or walk around or think and all of a sudden he'd realize oh i forgot that experiment and he'd go back and he'd have to trash the whole thing and start over again in his passion he uh, ended up having one of those trash everything days threw it all in the garbage went to meet a friend and as he was talking with the friend the friend said hey i would really like to see what you're doing like i can't even envision what you're doing in your lab all the time and he said, well, I really don't have anything. I had to throw it all away, you know. And he goes, I don't care. I'd like to see what you got. Just show me what you have. So they went back to the place, and he reached into the garbage and pulled out some of the stuff, you know. And he pulls out one of these Petri dishes, and it's just nasty. You know, it's got the mold stuff growing all over it. And he's like, you know, he's holding out. He's this is what I work with. And his friend's like, whatever. I've seen enough, you know. And as he holds it close, he goes, you know, I was working with... I... Look at that. And his friend's kind of doing the, I don't want to, I've seen enough, you know? And he said, no, look, where the mold is growing. He said, yeah, I see the mold. Yeah, but the bacteria, it's being killed by the mold. Who would have guessed that? So he set it aside and he let a bunch of mold grow over his next few weeks. And he ended up discovering penicillin. Sometimes God works with even our bumbling, right? But here's the reality. The friend, he didn't perceive it that way. Right thinking, that's what led to right action. And as Alexander Fleming was evaluating and looking, even at some of the mistakes he made, he got into some right thinking. And that right thinking led him to right action. It's led him to the discovery of penicillin and what saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives over the course of the years here. The question that we have today is, so what does right thinking look like when it comes to our body? And being unified. We have to have the right thinking in order to get the right action. And so as the Apostle Paul starts out in Ephesians chapter 4, going after unity, he says, here's the right thinking that's going to lead to the right action. This is what you're going to need to have in order to embrace unity and experience it at all levels. Okay? So we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 this morning. The ushers have some Bibles in their hands. They're going to be coming forward. Um, we are going to be walking verse by verse. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hands. We'd love to get one in your hands, okay? Just raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. The Apostle Paul's view of unity, right thinking, leads to right action. So what's his first call? Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's his first point. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. This is what you're going to have to get clear. Unity is going to require intentional, purposeful walk. Okay? 
So let's look at a few verses here, verses 1 and 2. He starts out, therefore. Have you ever heard this phrase? What's the therefore? Therefore? Have you ever heard that? Okay, you need to ask that. Every time you see a therefore, why did he put that therefore there? What's the point? It's a tieback. It's saying, because of everything that's come before, here's the truth you need to think of now. So what's the therefore, therefore? Basically, if you look back at the first three chapters, the evidences of God's grace being lavished out upon you, with that in mind, actually, if you look back just at the right, the phrases right before it, with the empowerment prayer that I have for you, and the fact that God's power is limitless, he is infinite, and he wants to be involved in changing you, with his power at work in you. Therefore, okay, make sure we catch the transition. That's where he's going. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk. I urge. Have you ever used that word? I urge you? That's, that's a pretty aggressive word, right? We usually don't work. I urge you to walk. This is an aggressive phrase. He's saying, I want this for you. I recommend this with everything I have. You need to go after this. This one is important. I urge you to get on this. I plead with you. I desire this for you with all I have. This is what you need to go after. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Okay, to walk. Now, we use that word a lot in the Christian community, walk, right? It's something that they've used metaphorically throughout all the scriptures. So walk, what does it mean? Okay, here's the definition of the Greek word walk. You ready? This is it. Okay, that was rocket science, right? This is a lot of seminary years that taught me this. This is walk, all right? What's it mean? Why did he use that word? Why would you use that concept? You know, in that day and age... There was a lot of travel that occurred by foot. And you would get from one place to another by the walk. That was the method of movement. It was purposeful going from point A to point B. But it was more than that. Because you had to walk there and so did everybody else, you walked with people often. There was this walking along with one another, this relating as you went. So the walk became purposeful. It became relational. There was this high intent to what was going on. So when Paul grabs for the word walk, he's going for this very vivid image that everybody thought of at the time when they went, yeah, that thing where we go from point A to point B and with people and the, you know, that's where we do a lot of our relating along the way and your walk. So when you walk along with Christ, it's purposeful getting you from point A to point B in your growth. It's relational as you go. The intentional element of your time with God. Walk. Spend your energies and your time in this way. In a manner worthy, it says. In a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You know, it basically is saying this. Show him honor. Give him just due. Your behavior should reflect the amazingness of what he's done in your life and what he's done for all of us. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's changed your life reflected in your thoughts. He's changed your world reflected in your actions. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. A relationship with Christ that lasts for all eternity. That's what we're called to do. 
So this walk in a manner worthy of which you've been called. How do we do it? Well, he starts out in verse 2. He says, let me give you a few pointers, okay? I know I told you to just do it in general as a manner worthy. Let me make sure I cover the bases. So here we go. Verse 2. He starts out, with all. Uh Uh-oh. This is a pretty inclusive thing, right? (laughs) So it's not, hey, with a little dab of, or why don't you give it a shot by? It's with all. Make sure that this is everything you're about. With all. Humility. What's that word mean? You know, when we think of the word humility, quite often we think of someone who doesn't like themselves very much. You know, the kind where you go, oh, no, no, it couldn't have been me. I'm worthless. Nah, that wasn't me. You know, that, like, we think that's kind of the label of humility. That's actually not really humility, okay? Humility is when you're putting the needs of someone else before you, when you're thinking of someone else. If I'm actually walking around going, couldn't have been me, me, I, I'm not good enough, I, me, I'm, I'm still talking about me. That's not humility. That's actually whacked pride, okay? I'm talking about myself still. It's still the talk of me. I'm just trying to me myself down, but maybe somebody will lift me up. And I, true humility is you matter and I want to lift you up. Well, what about your needs? They'll come. Don't worry about it. You matter. Let me raise you up. Let me help you. Humility. Okay. You want unity? You're going to have to think of others first. That's what he's saying. With all you've got, Make sure you're thinking of their needs, their hurts, their wants, their desires, and how you can come alongside of them. True humility, okay? Gentleness. This basically means power under control. We often think of gentleness as don't say anything that'll hurt them. Don't say anything that'll challenge them. But there's a mistake in that because the true loving thing is to help someone through a hurting time. And sometimes a challenging word is what's needed. True love is coming alongside and saying, let me help you see what the truth is, but I'm here to hurt with you the whole way through the change. I'm here with you, okay? But gentleness, what does that mean? It means not carrying the big stick to whack them, but actually the desire to walk along with them, okay? It's power, but under control, a true concern for the heart and the reception of what's going on. I'm not here to just deliver the fact. I'm not the truth bearer where I get to walk in and bludgeon and move on. But I'm actually the friend and the family member, the brother or sister who comes in for a lifetime of locking arms and walking together. Gentleness, power under control, okay? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is an awesome challenge passage. If you want to know what it looks like to step into someone's life and help work with them as they're struggling with a sin, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You're coming with truth, you're bringing it to bear, but you're doing it with gentleness, with an understanding that you yourself could trip into sin. Pride-based sin, maybe even the sin they're struggling with. So watch out, be careful, be gentle, but truthful, okay? That's what it's all about. That's what we're all about in our small groups. When we have accountability in our small groups, we're really not hanging around going, let me see how friendly and kind I can be by just listening to where you're at and just nodding my head and saying, oh, that's nice. We're actually there to go, and what do you think scripture says? And what's the next step that we're going to take? What do you think? And working together, that challenge piece is a big part of our walk. Iron sharpening iron. That's what it's about. But gently, 
please gently. We can really hurt people with the truth if we're just coming in to try to control. Gently. Power under control. Okay? With patience, it says. Patience. This is like being able to endure discomfort for really long periods of time. Okay? Patience. It's not enduring like while somebody's giving you the big pain in the neck, you're actually walking around going, I'm enduring it, but you're telling everybody else about it. I'm enduring it. I'm just telling you how horrible this is. I'm just enduring it. You know what? I'm really worried even. I'm not even sure what God's doing and I'm not sure what tomorrow's going to bring, but I'm, in, I'm enduring the pain. That's not really enduring it. Okay? When we're enduring by bleeding out with worry and with complaint and with attack against others, that's actually not being patient in the midst of it. True patience is understanding God's plan and in the midst of it, it's sitting down and letting him do the work and you're just watching with amazement to see what the plan is that unfolds. True patience, it's enduring the discomfort for a long period of time. No worry, no complaint. Wow. Are you pretty good at that one? And we all kind of smile, yeah. So this is one we all need to work on. Patience. You know why we need to work on it? Because you know when we get impatient? When the world starts to revolve around me, right? When it starts to get more me-oriented, I start going, excuse me, why are you doing that? You're making a little discomfort in my world. Will you please stop it, right? And we start challenging the person to change so that my world gets a little better. Oh, that didn't sound real good, right? That's when patience starts falling off, when we get more me-oriented. So his challenge, be others-oriented. Be ready to endure. No worry, no complaining, okay? Patience. His last step here, he says, tolerance in love. Tolerance. Okay, let's be careful with this word, all right? The world's view of tolerance goes like this. I state that this is a fact, and even though it's not, you kind of go, well, I have to be tolerant. So I just allow the person to think it. I allow the person to act on it. I just let it continue the way it is, right? And they continue on just as they are. Nothing is challenged. Nothing is said because I am tolerant. Okay, that's not what the word means, all right? We have to be really careful. What it does mean is that there's tending to be this bearing up with, this coming alongside of, this concept of I'm working with you in the midst of your struggle. I want to help you put up with the problem. I'm there to bear up with it. And I'm understanding that there won't be perfection in that, right? Like to walk beside somebody and go, hey, I'm here to walk beside you. Get it wrong once and I'm gone, but I'm here. Okay, that's not really there, all right? So it's tolerance. It's let's be there, let's be alongside, true forbearance. A couple of words I put down, long-tempered. We understand that we're all different and we're willing to allow some of that, okay? So we've got this concept of bearing up, this, this uh, tolerance, bearing with one another. What's the motivator? It says right there, in love. Love, relationship with Christ. That's what it's all about. You know, as we build up our relationship with him, as we gather who he is, we start to get this picture. There was a man deeply steeped in sin. He's in his 40s. He's been doing drugs for decades. He has been shooting up, drinking up, whatever he can to try to anesthetize life. He has been living out in the world's way of living, doing whatever he wants to do. He's been taking on whatever comfort, whatever feels good. I'm just going after it. Life is about me. 
His tongue was not under control. His attitude was not under control. He, by all human standards, was actually coming way short. But by God's standard, far, far short. And as God looked at his heart, and as God sees him falling apart, Jesus Christ, stooping down into his life, sending a friend into his life, and this man has a friend come to him that says, God loves you right where you are, right what you're doing. He has provided for you. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as Jesus, through a friend, stooping down and building into his life, teaching him that you are loved, you matter. This is real. There is change allowed. And God wants to accept you just as you are and then bring you forward through change to his glory and honor. It's time to see the change. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, stooping down to earth, humbling himself to become a man, going through being beaten and mocked and spit upon, being murdered and risen again from the dead. He has stooped into our lives, into the muck of our world, and he has breathed life into this man and into us. That's the love. That's the humility. That's the gentleness. That's the patience that we're supposed to be modeling. Walk in a manner worthy of what our God has provided for us. Walk in a manner worthy of what Jesus Christ has provided as he has stooped down into your world and into my world. And he has gently and patiently and forbearantly lifted us back up into his arms. And we can call him daddy forever. And we can call him God and savior forever. Amen? That's what he's talking about. It's like, it's time for you guys to gather that your world needs to model his world. That what Jesus has done for you, you're willing to do for others. It's time. Walk in a manner worthy of what you've been called. Question. How are you doing? At home. As you get home from a busy day or a hard day. How are you doing with being humble? Thinking of others' needs. Gentle. Power under control. Bearing up in love. How's your tongue doing? How are your actions doing with caring for those around you? How about in this body? How are you doing with being somewhat understanding of others' struggles and coming alongside of them to lock arms with them, to hurt with them over the long haul and say, we're going to do this together. Are you ready to be a body that's unity-oriented? It's all about saying, let's walk in a manner worthy. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for you and reach out to another next to you in like manner. That's what it's all about, okay? Are you ready to take a step? Think of one thing that you need to be adjusting. Take a look at the list. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing up. Where are you going? What's the thing you're gonna say, Lord, I wanna work on this this week. This is an area I know I need to be testing myself in. I want to be stretched. Make me more like you. Now's the time. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Point number two, maintain the unity. In verse three there, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he starts with the word eager, not begrudgingly, 
Not, oh, you've got to be kidding me. All right, fine. I'll try to get along with somebody this week. But it's eager. I can't wait to see this body reflecting Christ more next week than this week. I can't wait to have an opportunity myself to reach out to someone gently, humbly, patiently, hurting with them, caring for them, knowing what they're going through and saying, I'm here. I understand some things are going to need to change, but I'm here with you. Let's hurt together. Are you ready to reach out? Maintain the unity. Eager to maintain the unity. Okay, well, what's unity mean? We keep throwing this word around and we all get this image of it and we need to be careful of it. So here's a couple things I put. Unity, first of all, true internal oneness. We really have a oneness thing going on inside, okay? Unity. I was reading examples on the internet. One guy said it's like tying two cats together by the tail and throwing them over a clothesline. Not unity, okay? That's called union. We tied them together, we aren't getting along, okay? Our goal is unity, okay? It's getting along in the midst of, not tied by the tail and hanging over the line together, all right? It's getting along. True internal oneness. Really getting along because it's based on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Unity of Spirit. It's brought by the Spirit. It's owned by the Spirit. It's shared by the Spirit. Now notice what it says there. Does it say manufacture this unity? What's the word? Maintain. You already have the unity. You see, when you are saved, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And you have God in you, the Almighty working in you. And the person next to you, God in them, Almighty working in them. And the two together are unified because the same God is at work in both, working for the same purpose and the same end. He is saying, I'm working in A and I'm working in B. I'm working in Jana and I'm working in Tim. And let me tell you, I got a goal. And they better be getting along or it's their issue that they're, they're not because I am unified. I want to be bringing them together. He's saying, please preserve that. Maintain that. Work with that. Let that be what drives you more than anything. My spirit driving you and my spirit driving the one next to you. There is true unity. And the only time it's broken is when you make it go your own way. Maintain, preserve, protect, be a part of letting that continue. Get it? Maintain the unity. So you have the Holy Spirit working within you. Maintain it. And then it says, in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. You know what happens when you allow God to work in you and I allow God to work in me? And we all kind of get along and we interact well. Do you know what happens? Peace. External peace, internal peace. We actually start getting along at all levels. And there is this real sense of at ease in what's happening. God at work, I can let go. When we lose the peace feeling, it's because we're starting to grip down on it and control it just like we want. And the thing's bending and twisting. And that's when we're losing the peace. Peace is when the Holy Spirit's at work in you, when the Holy Spirit's at work in me. True unity being maintained and a calmness comes into play as we all are beating to the same drum. Get it? That's what we're going after. Unity in the bond of peace and maintaining it. Okay, just real quickly, five reasons that we may not maintain unity. Just write these down real quickly, okay? What are some things that would keep me from being unified? Number one, 
physical sin. You might actually be involved and steeped in sin. What is it? It might be of the heart and the mind, but often we act it out. You might be gossiping, slandering. You might be ripping somebody. You might actually just be involved in personal sin stuff. Are you misusing other people or some kind of drugs? Where are you at? Your sexuality? We end up taking our stuff wrongly and going after something ourselves. And what we end up doing is creating this physical sin that blocks a relationship with the Lord. And all of a sudden, we become much more me-oriented and the unity starts dropping. Do you have a physical sin in your life that it's time to get rid of today? Let's make it right here and right now. It's time to dump it. Physical sin, that's number one. Number two, you know what? I'm just in general all about me. Too selfish. I'm too selfish. I'm just thinking me, me, me. Whenever somebody says, do you want to do this? My first question is not, does it help someone? Or how can I get through that? Or what's the Lord thinking? It's, I'm not sure I want to be there. Why do I want that? Sell me on that. Show me why I should do that. Are you just living life too selfishly? It's time to take the t-shirt off that says, it's all about me. And say, put the t-shirt on that says, you know what? It's all about you. How can I help you? How can I reach out to you? Too selfish. So physical sin, too selfish. Number three, too proud. You know what? I'm not about to be unified. I'm not losing my independent thinking. I know what's right and I'm headed that way and I'm used to being the independent. Too proud. That gets in the way. Number four, I'm just afraid to fail. Like if I step out on this one and it doesn't go well, I'm not sure what I'm gonna... What if I'm not? But are you a perfectionist? There's usually two types of people, okay? We have a bent. We either have a bent to perfectionism or we have a bent towards this high relational element and m many friends, okay? If you're the perfectionist, this one's gonna get you every time. I'm afraid to fail. I'm not sure what I should do about that. Anytime you're going after something new, you're gonna have to say to yourself, God is limitless. It's his power at work in me, okay? And the last step, number five, that may be keeping you from unity, I'm afraid of rejection. If you're that person that's all about relationships, you very well might be doing the, yeah, but what if I reach out to somebody else and they just flat out turn on me? You know what? We all together, locking arms together, create a safe atmosphere for unity. And it's our job to maintain that with all we've got. It's your job and it's my job to say, you have changed my world, Lord. You have rocked me from the inside out. I am completely different because of you. May I reach out to the one next to me and show them how loved they are. Don't make it about you. Make it about them because they're probably thinking, what if I get rejected? You can be their solution. Don't reject, reach out and the unity starts happening, okay? So maintaining the unity, that's our call. Why? Because of the bond of peace. There was a man who was uh, very rich. He had this huge estate and he wanted to put a giant painting in the front hallway. And he said, I wanted to model peace. So he called all the artists in the local community and he said, your job is to, we're going to have a competition. Make a painting of peace and I'll take the top one and I'll purchase it at top dollar. Okay. So all these artists, they painted their paintings, they put them all together, they, they got in line and he went through and he cho chose the top three and he put them in his front room covered, veiled, and he had the town come in and as he opened up each one, he said, here are the top three, I'll start with the lowest one. And he started with number three in line and he pulled it off and it was this serene mountain scene, you know, with the grass and everything was just perfectly still 
There was no wind blowing. There was an animal laying in the front just completely at calm and peace. Everything was just beautiful and peaceful. And, you know, and the crowd does the, oh, that was a good one, you know. And then he pulls off number two, peels it back, and it's this placid lake. Not a ripple on it. Perfect reflection of the mountain scene behind. You could see everything just still and calm. Gorgeous scenery and beautiful reflection. And the crowd went, oh, that was a good one. That's a good one. And he goes to pull off number one. And as he yanks it back, the crowd goes, what? This huge waterfall and torrents of water pouring over and bashing off of the rocks. And it, it just you'd look at it and you'd almost feel the wet and the cold and the force and the water that's hitting the, the lake below and just splashing up. And there's a storm that's rolling in over the top of the mountains. And you're like, I don't get it. But if you look in the front corner of the picture, there's a tree. And in the corner of that tree, there's a nest. And in that nest, there's a little mother bird with her arm, her wings around the two little yearlings, the little birds, and they're sound asleep. And he said, this, this is peace because it doesn't depend on what's outside. It depends on what's inside. The bond of peace in you. It's not about what's going on outside. It's not about the tumult. It's not about, was there a layoff at my company this week? It's not about what's God doing in my finances or my friendships or It's about what's going on inside of me and what's going on inside of you. God at work and us trusting him with all we've got. And we're at peace in the midst of the largest storms. And let me tell you, you want a witness to the community? That's the witness. We walk in a manner worthy. We have a peace that is unexplainable. God at work in you. Are you ready to experience the peace that comes from maintaining unity and letting the spirit whisper to you where he's having you go, who he's having you care for, how he's having you relate to him. It's time to maintain the unity. So first, walk in a manner worthy. Second, maintain the unity. And the last one, just reflect the nature of God. That's all. Just reflect the nature of God. He starts going into this one statement, and it's just, it's a wild little dissertation that comes from Paul. I just want to read it real quickly, and then we'll go through a piece. There is one body and one spirit, this is verse 4, one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. Did you hear it? All the ones and all the alls? He's basically saying one, one, one in all. One, 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 one. If you can get one word out of this, get the word one, okay? Like if you want to just write one big word over verses 4 through 6, it's one. That's what he's saying, okay? Why is he saying that? Well, first of all, we have to remember that Paul is a Jew. As a matter of fact, by his own words, he's a Jew among Jews, right? He is a learned man. Let me tell you something. The Shema, the Israelites use this this song every morning from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And it's a calling of remembering who God is. And in the Hebrew, it's a gorgeous phrase. It says, uh, here we go, you ready? From a Hebrew class. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim. Adonai Echad. It's the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. That is the message of the Jewish faith. They went through life with that, day in and day out. And as he switches into getting the gospel message and the mystery of Christ revealed, he says, I want you to understand one thing the Shema. He is one. 
my God, one God, not a little G and a lot of them, one capital G and in charge of the whole universe. Welcome to my God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I will preach it. That's what Paul's saying. One man. Let's get it. God is one. Do we understand? Amen. Like we need to go after our God, one God. And if we're going to model who our one God is, we better be one body. Amen. That's what he's saying. One. Okay. We have to get that word and get it with passion. So let's just start and go through this. There is one body. Verse four, one body. Okay. In other words, anyone who comes to trusting in Christ as their personal savior, we join the universal body of Christ. We all are family. It doesn't matter that there's another church down the street on a corner. They're not a different body. They're one universal body. We do meet locally for care needs, for taking care of each other physically, for having um, a little difference in variation of worship or whatever the case may be. But there is one body. We must understand and embrace that all believers are one with him. Okay? If you trust in Christ, you are one. We need to model that from within these church walls, and we need to model that outside these church walls. We need to embrace that there is oneness in our body, okay? One body, one spirit, the same Holy Spirit at work in each one of us, the comforter promised from John chapters 14 through 16. God Almighty, one spirit at work in you and at work in me, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One hope. What is that hope? That we have an eternal life established with him that starts today and moves through all the rest of anything we could perceive and understand. We have a future guaranteed by God Almighty. We have hope that he's at work in us. And we have hope that he's changing and transforming us and guaranteeing us a a home with him that lasts forever. Hope. One hope. Remember what we said hope means? Absolute certainty of a future event. Absolute certainty. We have one of those. God Almighty at work in us, guaranteeing a future. One certainty in him. One hope. And he says in verse 5, one Lord. Now he's moving into Jesus Christ. One Lord. You know, in Colossians chapter 1, we're told that he is creator. Jesus, creator and sustainer. By his word, the existence of all we know. By his presence, the sustaining of all we know. We're told that he is involved in your life and mine as mediator. One Lord, Jesus Christ, at work in your life and mine. He making the replacement payment for you and for me. He stooping down in humbleness, in gentleness, in patience, and bearing up. Reaching down and bringing life to us and bringing us home to him as a child of God's. Adopted in the Lord, one Lord. Jesus said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one that comes to the Father but by me. It's simple. The world wants to reject that with everything they've got. Hey, just try hard. Anyway, why would Jesus have sacrificed his life if that was true? Think about that for a second. Really, any way is okay? No. Jesus said, there is one way, and it's through me. Come have a relationship by what I've offered you. 
self-sacrifice my blood on the cross for your replacement payment. Come to me. I love you with all I have. I want to accept you in and change you with everything we've got so that you can be the most satisfied, the most fulfilled creation ever. Knowing me. That's what you've been designed to know. Knowing me. One Lord. And then he says, one faith. That faith is what I'm talking about here. Knowing Jesus Christ and trusting him as your, your savior. His shed blood and replacement for what you owe. Saying, Lord, please forgive me. There is one faith, and that's the faith. Trusting in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. One baptism. Okay, I read about 12 commentaries this week. It's interesting because it probably went about three and nine on positions here, all right? I personally believe this baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you. Why do I think that? Because everybody experiences that. When you trust in Christ, boom, God takes up residence. He said, this is my temple and we're cleaning house. Here we go. I love you. I'm caring for you with all I've got. Let's enjoy life together. Are you ready? And the comforter has come home to rest. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, physical baptism, the symbol of that faith, that trust, some don't even do that ever in their life. Some may not experience it. For example, even the man on the cross, right? He's sitting next to Christ or kind of hanging next to Christ. would maybe be the more appropriate statement. But in the end, where do we end up with that? If it's one baptism, how did... I believe it's the spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you and all of us experience it. That is the unity of the spirit that's being challenged by Paul. That's the core center of his statement here, okay? One baptism, and then he closes with a power. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. God Almighty, in charge, over the top, through it, around it, under it. God making an impact. Our God at work. We have a mighty God. And he changes lives. One God. One faith. One Lord. Notice the Trinity in the midst of this. Just a little side note, okay? We have one spirit that he says. And then one Lord. And then he says at the end, one God and Father of all. We have the Trinity at work here, okay? He's saying, while there are three persons in the Godhead, there is a one God. And that's the beauty of the Christian story. We have a God who is reaching out to love us with everything we have. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you beating to his heart? There was a man who wanted to have a piano concert. A hundred pianos he was going to put in this auditorium. And he had them all lined out. And he knew how to tune them. So he goes over and he tunes the first piano. And then he moves to the second and he tunes the second piano to the first and the third to the second and the fourth to the third and all the way around till he gets to the hundredth and tunes it to the 99th and they're just pretty much dead on. Then he plays the hundred to the first and it sounds like a nightmare. And he goes, what have I done? So then he goes back and he takes one standard and he uses it and he tunes the first to the standard and then the second to the standard and the third to the standard all the way around and every one of them is in perfect tune. What's the best way to go after unity? It's not for you to be tuned to the one next to you. It's for you to be tuned to the Almighty. One God, one Lord, one, one Spirit at work in you. That's what it's about. It's God Almighty at work in you. And you be to Him. You tune to Him. You understand Him. And then the unity comes. 
you know, have you ever heard this before? I think I even said this a couple weeks back. Picture the triangle. Two people sitting out on the edges of the triangle. And as you move up the triangle towards the point, the closer you both get to the point, the closer you are to each other. That's what it's about. We're going after unity, then what I'm really calling you to is going after God with everything you have. Have a relationship with him that runs so deep and so real and so vibrant and so changing that you can't have anything more satisfying than that relationship with him. Praise be to God. Amen? That's where we're called to. He calls us to unity. He's simply saying this. I want you to experience what you've been designed for. I want you to experience what brings the most peace possible. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit at work in you. And as you have it, work with those around you. And you will experience a unity like you've never seen before. Let me rock your world. That's God's message. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. To God be the glory as we walk in a manner worthy and maintain the unity, reflecting his nature, okay? Let me pray.